hello, hello, everyone. This is Demia Avery, and welcome to yet another episode of What You Do in Wilmington. This podcast is designed to shed light on the positive people, places, and things here in the beautiful city of Wilmington, North Carolina. You can catch a different episode on Sundays and Thursdays, and my intent is to help encourage and motivate others to do what they love, as well as recognize those who give of themselves every day to everyone, no matter how big, how small. I see you, we see you, and it's good to be seen. So today's episode is entitled, Everyone Has a Story. Everyone has, I know I got a story. <laughs> I know I have a story. If you think about it, everyone has something that they've been through, that they've gone through, going through, and it doesn't always have to be negative. You know, it's not always a negative experience. Life is all about ups and downs, about memories and special times. We all have a book inside of us. If you really think about it, we all have our journeys. We all have stories. We all have different experiences. That's what makes us who we are. Have you ever just taken the time out to find out what someone's story is? You might not understand certain people, but if you just take the time out to find out what their story is, man, I tell you. How about this? Have you ever um, sat down and actually talked to like an elderly relative or friend? That is the best time for me. I'm not going to even lie. That is the best time for me because if you ask them about their life, I've heard some amazing stories and gotten some great advice, um, some great wisdom. Anyways, I just, you know, I just get so excited because they tell you so much and sometimes a little too much, much, but it's okay. But I am more excited to bring on my guest for the week because He's all about storytelling. He is all about storytelling. He is a filmmaker. His name is Christopher Everett of Speller Street Films. You guys better hold on to your your seats. Hold on to your seats because what he's doing is incredible. He does incredible work. I've watched um, some of the trailers for his uh, documentaries and you guys, you you truly don't want to miss everything that he's talking about here in this interview. So anyways, after the break, make sure you um, check out my interview with Christopher Everett. All right, guys, be right back. Are you ready to join the billion dollar podcasting industry? If so, Blake's Booth Podcasting Studio is ready for you. Whether you're just starting out and have no equipment or you are a seasoned pro but need help with production, Blake's Booth Podcasting Studio has everything you need. Conveniently located in Middletown, Delaware, Blake's state-of-the-art production facilities make producing your first or 100th podcast a breeze. No matter what kind of project you have in mind, the professionals at Blake's Booth Podcasting Studio can help with your production or give you the tools to produce it on your own. At the heart of Blake's Booth Podcasting Studio is award-winning blogger, vlogger, and CEO, Antoinette Blake. And her goal is simple, to help one more entrepreneur be successful. So stop making excuses and start making your podcast, audiobook, e-course, and other online dreams come true. Call Blake's Booth Podcasting Studio now. 302-261-3530. That's 302-261-3530. Hello, 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 everyone. This is Demia Avery with What You Do in Wilmington. And again, guys, as you know, the title of this episode, like I said before, is Everyone Has a Story. I love this title. I love this title because it speaks directly to who my next guest is and what he does. So please welcome award-winning producer, director, filmmaker, the very talented and gifted Christopher Everett of Speller Street Films. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's no problem at all. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. I'm so happy that you could join us today. And you know what? I was really, when I really got deep into, well, let me just, let me just, let me just start everything. So 
I'm excited for my audience to know more about you. But mm-hmm. before I get into the whole story about everything, I, I noticed Speller Street Films. Is, is there some significance to that name? Yeah, yeah. Speller Street Films. Actually, that name, um, Speller Street, that's the, that's the street that I was born and raised on, 602 Speller Street in Laurenburg. North Carolina, you know, that's where all of my creativity started, uh, you know, playing with toys and stuff like that as a, as a kid and wanting to, you know, create stories and just my imagination just ran wild on 602 Speller Street that led me, you know, down this path of um, creative media and, and filmmaking. Awesome. Now, I mean, now what's the name of this city again? Because I don't think I've ever heard of them. Now, forgive me. I'm a new Laurenburg. Yeah, Laurenburg, North Carolina. It's about it's about a hour and a half, two hours from Wilmington. You go straight on 74, leaving Wilmington. Like if you're going to Charlotte, small. It's a small country rural town, Scotland County. It's about okay. 20 minutes from Lumberton. Now, what made you? How did you get to Wilmington? Well, you know, Wilmington, I kind of got to Wilmington, uh, one, my wife. (laughs) So I met her. Yeah, she's from Wilmington. She got you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one, my wife, who I met when I was filming my first film. Okay. And then also, you know, I've always, you know, been intrigued with Wilmington because of the film industry as well. Right. And also doing, you know, my first film, Wilmington on Fire. You know, I was starting to come to Wilmington a lot. I was living in Laurenburg at the time, but, you know, Laurenburg's like an hour and a half away. So I was coming here a lot to do research and, and doing some things. Ended up meeting my wife, who, who eventually became my wife. You know, we yeah. started dating at the time. And so, I, you know, not only coming to Wilmington to do my film, but also to spend time with her as well. So Wilmington became like a second home to me. Awesome. So if I could ask you, what, what is it, you know, now that you're here, and by the way, happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I know it's been a, it's been a few a few weeks, but I just wanted to make sure that I put that out there because I saw that there. So you know, now that you're here, um, what is it that you like about Wilmington? Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, I love the the, the history here. Uh, Wilmington has a lot of potential. I've met some great people here that are doing some amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I like it. I like the the water. I love seafood as well. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, you know, I, I like it. You know, I, I like the the peace and calmness to it. You know, because like I said, I'm I'm from a small town. Yeah. So you know, Laurenburg comparing Wilmington to Laurenburg, it makes you know Wilmington looks like you know make makes Wilmington look like Charlotte, for example. Right. But uh, <laughs> but you know, I like it. It's it's not it's not too big and it's not too small. And I love that's what water. I love about it. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I like about it. Plus, it's still close to my grandparents, and I can still visit them as well. Now, is your wife originally from Wilmington? She's originally from New York. She um, actually okay. moved to Wilmington. I think she was probably around 10 or 11. But okay. Wilmington's okay. her home. Yeah, Wilmington's her home. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know what? I, again, I um, before I do my interviews, I really like to kind of do my research yeah. um, on the person. And I saw something that actually speaks to my own heart. And I don't know if you know this. I know some of my listeners know this, but... Um, my sister and I own a talent agency in Atlanta and we represent actors in the Southeast region. So my point in bringing that up is that I saw that it seems that uh, before you got into the film industry, you were actually doing some acting. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, that was a long time ago. You know, it was a long time ago and a hundred pounds lighter, but but yeah, that's how I kind of got started into this. You know, I didn't start off as a filmmaker. I started off as an actor and model. Um, okay. So I did I did some pretty cool things. Did a lot of independent um, short films, mm-hmm. independent features. Ended up doing a few commercials as well in New York and in some other places awesome. down south as well. And so I made that move to Atlanta right, you know, before Atlanta became what it is now, before it just blew up. And so I made the move to Atlanta around 2007. Wanting okay. to continue my uh, acting and modeling career, but things just didn't pan out, and okay. I decided to, you know, that I wanted to start my own film company and make my own films. Well, you know what? I mean, you know, like you said, Atlanta is 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 booming right now for the film right. industry. But again, in Wilmington, I mean, you can't you can't snub your nose at what's going on here. So, oh you no, 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 yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's and that's where you know my new goals lie is that what's going on in Atlanta right now. You know, I want 
to be a part of what's going on in Wilmington in North Carolina as well with the the, re, the reemergence of the film industry coming back strong, you know, and I want to be a part of that. So I'm glad that I made that move back to North Carolina and actually being a part of this movement that's going on in the film industry here. Now, it, it, being as though when you started out, you were doing acting and modeling yeah. and now you're a, a filmmaker, how was the transition? I mean, how did you transition into that? Well, it was it was kind of simple. You know, I pretty much started shadowing a lot of people, okay. um, people that, you know, I was in their films <laughs> prior yeah. and I would hit them up and say, hey, can I come on set and just help you out for free? You know, I just want to learn, you know, what are you doing? What, you know, what to do, what not to do. Right. And so I started doing things like that and I'm um, just making connections, um, you know, gathering resources to actually put together um, a few projects. Um, it was simple. You know, it was just doing a lot of learning, research, um, ordering a lot of books off of Amazon about filmmaking and documentary filmmaking. And YouTube has been a help, which I still use to this day. Um, and just just finding different ways to learn about filmmaking in general. And I constantly do that to this day still. So that's so it's self-taught. This yeah. is all self-taught. That's awesome. I love that because, you know, some, I mean, it's cool. It's great to go to film school and, and mm -hmm. all those things, you know, that's, that's great. But mm -hmm. I also th think it's a, a great thing to, to get that one-on-one -on -one experience like you did, you know? Exactly. It's nothing like it because uh, I know even from my first film, Wilmington on Fire, mm -hmm. um, everyone really that worked on that film had little to no experience, you know, myself, Mm -hmm. My cinematographer, the guy that did the film score, all of that. But yeah. a lot of those guys from the first film have gone on to, to work in Hollywood right now. So they all have wow. great careers in Hollywood. My DP um, from the first film I did, um, Isaiah Dante Lee, he's uh, pretty much a Hollywood DP right now. He's mm -hmm. very sought out, you know, sought after a DP in Hollywood. Um, the guy that did the film score, Matthew Head, mm -hmm. he scores a lot of Hollywood um, films and TV shows. Some people might be familiar with his work on uh, P Valley. He did the score for that. Okay. Um, he did the uh, music for Greenleaf uh, on the own network. Um, so he, he does a lot of stuff now, but we all kind of started together with my first film. Well, let me ask you this now, because a lot of people don't know now when you, when you switch from being an actor to mm -hmm. uh, filmmaking, a lot of people don't know that it's very different when you when your butt is behind that camera. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. You know, especially especially when you're in, an independent filmmaker where, you know, you're putting everything together. You're raising the funds. You also have to put up a lot of your own funds as well, because, you know, it's a lot of times you're beginning. A lot of people don't see the value in investing in you. And so you have to really cover a lot of the costs. You have to do a lot of the stuff, the scheduling, everything. You know, a lot of times I know as an actor, all I had to do was show up. You know, I had to remember my lines and, and practice that craft, but I had to show up. I didn't have to worry about the other responsibilities of getting the film made, getting financing and, and all that stuff. And so it made me appreciate um, folks that were on the opposite side of the camera when I would get mad when they couldn't finish a film. I'm like, man, I did this, you know, I acted in this. Why isn't this done? But it wasn't until I started making films to show out, like how hard it is to actually put together a quality project and to get it out there as well. And then you were like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, how nervous were you when you released your first project? I was very nervous. I was very nervous. You know, Wilmington on Fire was my very first project. Actually, I did a project prior to mm -hmm. Wilmington on Fire. And I, I thought about, I was looking at some of the footage the other night. I was like, man, I should go ahead and just edit this together and put it out. But I actually did, my first film was about the Laurenburg Institute. And it's, a, uh, it's from my hometown. It's, it's a historic boarding, black boarding and day school in my hometown. And the school you know, was around since like 1904. I interviewed people like my grandfather, my godfather, um, and several other people, uh, you know, certain athletes that went to school there back in the day. It's a very historical place. And, you know, I did, it didn't really work out <laughs> like I wanted because it was my first film. I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. And so I kind of, uh, so I kind of put a pause on it and decided that I wanted to tell the story about the 1898 massacre. And so that was very nerve wracking um, at first. Um, but we were able, we were able to put it together, and I think the most nervous I ever was is when we premiered the film. We actually premiered the film 
uh-huh. about six years ago, mm-hmm. um, November of 2015 at the Kukulors Film Festival. Um, Kukulors is a big film festival here in Wilmington. It's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we premiered it there. One, I wanted to premiere it there because Kukulors usually happens during the actual week of the anniversary of the 1898 massacre. And okay. so I knew that I would get full maximum exposure, yeah. full media coverage from the local media as well. Mm-hmm. And while we were filming over those years, those past three years filming leading up to the premiere, we actually built up a huge following and audience. And so when it was on the premiere, everyone wanted to see this film. And actually to this day, we still hold the attendance record for Kukuloris. We actually, wow. my very first screening was at Kukuloris and we had 600 people in attendance. And so that was my first time talking in front of people as well, oh my God. 600 people. And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> Uh, you know, so I've gotten better over the years. Um, right. but that was my first experience with with um, doing a film and doing a Q and A in front of six hundred people. And okay. so, you know, after that, I would say probably since then, I've done probably about a thousand screenings, Q and As, and so it gets easier and easier over time. I bet. And but you know what? I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna get into uh, the different uh, documentaries that that you've done. I, I yeah. did have a question about. I, I'm a big well, I'm big on like motivation and encouragement. Yeah. And I like to get people's story on their highs right. and their lows. So right. I would imagine, um, especially with that particular film, but I would imagine that you had to conquer a lot of setbacks and a lot of trials. So right. h- how did you handle it? How did you keep going? Because I know it was a lot of no's in there yeah. to, to get things uh, going. Well, you know, when I first came up with the concept for Wilmington on Fire, um, I was, it was a girl, it was a, it was a um, young lady I was dating at the time. This is before I even met my, my, my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, when I had told this, you know, my former girlfriend at the time, okay. I said, you know what, I want to do this film about the 1890 Wilmington Massacre. And I told her, I went through a few titles because Wilmington on Fire wasn't my first title. And I told her, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to settle in on the title Wilmington on Fire. And she thought I was crazy. She was like, why do you want to do this? Um, no one cares about this history. And I just kind of ignored it. And I wanted to pursue this. I just felt like it was a story that needed to be told. Right. And I felt like I was in a good place to do it. I had left Atlanta, moved back to my grandparents' house in Laurenburg. And okay. so I had to convince them. That was the first thing, convincing my grandparents oh. that, hey, I, you know, I got laid off from my job. Right. And I decided to leave Atlanta and come back to North Carolina so I can be closer to Wilmington so I can do this documentary. And they're like, okay, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> you <know? laughs> so they, they didn't really understand what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so I had to kind of, you know, combat that, you know, and I understand where they were coming from. You know, they want the best for me, you know, but they felt like, well, you need to be doing something else besides this dream of trying to do a, a, a whatever it is, a documentary film on yeah. this event. And so, you know, doing that and also, Anybody that knows doing film, it costs, you know, it can really be costly. And so I was able to um, use my savings, use whatever money I can get, the crowdfunding to put this thing together, to shoot interviews and travel and stuff like that. Luckily, um, folks like my boy Dante, who was the cinematographer and others, they really worked with my budget. They said, man, I like this project. I'm trying to get experience. Um, Just, you know. Just pay me like a hundred dollars a day and feed me some lunch. We're good. I said, right, let's do it. <laughs> you right, know, right. so it was a bare bones thing that everybody just sacrificed. And you know, it took about three and a half years to get everything shot. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I forgot that okay, I need money for post production. <laughs> you know, to finish this up. You know, right. we got everything shot. So I'm like, oh man. So I'm I know I'm gonna need you know this amount. And so it was a struggle. You know, so it was like a year of not knowing how I was going to get this thing made. But yeah. while I was doing this, trying to get funds together, mm-hmm. I was really still hyping up the project. So I was doing, you know, podcasts, interviews, yeah. you know, hyping it up on social media, dropping clips here and there, new trailers to really build that anticipation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then out of the blue, um, um, an NBA player hits me up, um, David West. Um, mm-hmm. He's a retired NBA player. Uh, people, might be familiar with him with the uh, last two Golden State Warrior championships. He was on that team, um, okay. won two titles with them. Um, but his business manager hit me up because he actually was following the film. I, I didn't even know because you never know who's watching you out here. Yeah, I tell this all the time. You do the work, 
yeah. yeah, you do the work, you'd be surprised who's watching. So he reached out, his business manager reached out. They wanted a DVD of the film because David is really big into black history and culture. He's from North Carolina and he, he, he's been following what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And he said, man, I want to get a DVD of this film. I'm ready to see it. And I said, man, it's not done yet. Mm-hmm. But when it's done, I'll let you guys know. And they say, okay, well, how much you need, how much you need to get this thing out here and get it done? Because I want to, I want to see this film. Yeah. And I, you know, I told him the amount, and I still didn't believe it. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm talking, I wasn't talking to David. I was talking to his business manager. Uh-huh. So I'm like, man, there's somebody playing around because I was, I was a fan of David West. I'm like, man, I know this dude is not thinking about me right. <laughs> and Little Larbird with my film. Right. And he was like, nah, man, we want to help you out with this, and so. It was a lot of back and forth. And he said, look, man, David and them, they're coming to town to play the Sharp, you know, basketball team. We got you a ticket, good seats. Me and you chop it up, and then we'll talk to David after the game. I said, all right, cool. And so I went to Charlotte, chopped uh-huh. it up with his business manager. Yeah. We kicked it off. And then after the game, he introduced me to David West, and we chopped it up. He said, man, I like what you're doing. You're pretty much done. You just need help with post-production a little yeah. bit. He said, we're going to make this happen, and let's partner together to get this done. And that's how we got it. That's how we were able to um, get the film made. Wow. Wow. So that you know what that means. That it was meant for you to do that. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then come to find out and peep this out. And yeah. so we did this, so we did the premiere, right? At Kukaloris. Uh-huh. And so David's business manager, him and his wife come, you know, because David's on the road, he couldn't come, you know, because mm-hmm. he's in the NBA. And so he has his business manager come, uh, my man Will Dudley. And so he came and then so Will is there, I'm, I'm talking to him, and then his wife sees, you know, she was my girlfriend in time, but my current wife. Right. And they see each other, you know, they do the, the whole soror, um, shouting and all that okay. stuff. You know how they do when they greet each other. Yeah. Like, Hold on, how do y'all know each other? And then and then my wife was like, you know, this is uh this is one of my sororos. I was like, what? I was like, well, you know, this is you know, this is Dave West's business manager right here. So this whole time we didn't even know that until we actually had the premiere. Oh and you can kind of see like how it was just destined to be. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And everything kind of just aligned together um, to make this happen. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to go ahead and get a little into the film since we're yeah. talking about it. Now, it is extremely controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have uh, did you have any reservations about doing the project? I mean, no, nah, no, I didn't have any reservations at all because, you know, I had nothing to lose. You know what I'm saying? I lost. I just lost my job. I moved back to Laurenburg, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I want to do this film. We need to get it done. Um, no one has done a, a documentary on it. Right. I'm going to go all out and do my best um, to do it. And that's what we did. Now, for for those who who don't you know, who don't know anything about the film, uh, about the history of that. Is there a way that you can explain yeah. just a little bit about what the film is about? Yeah. Well, Wilmington on Fire is a feature-length documentary about the 1898 Wilmington Massacre um, that happened in Wilmington, North Carolina on November 10th, 1898. And for people that aren't familiar just with Wilmington in general, um, back in the 1890s, you know, Wilmington was North Carolina, you know, top city. It was the biggest city, mm-hmm. uh, major city. A lot of people were coming from all over the country to come in, especially African-Americans, because it was a very progressive city. Um, it was welcoming to, to the African-American community. They were involved in politics. They had businesses. Um, it was a really, really thriving city. It was really what the New South was supposed to be in after the Civil War. Um, but as you have this going on and all this Black progress, you also had a white supremacy movement that didn't like that and wanted to reverse these gains of African-Americans and also African-Americans coming together with other white folks as well to mm-hmm. kind of make this fusion and inclusive um, society in Wilmington. And so what they did was plot, plotted and planned the destruction of this whole coalition that was going on with white and black folks um, at the time and really bring Wilmington back to the side of white supremacy, but not only Wilmington, but the state of North Carolina as well. So it just wasn't a thing that was restricted to Wilmington. This was a statewide movement of white supremacy. And so November 10th, you know, they um, they burnt down um, Alex Manley, who was the black newspaper um, editor at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they burned his press down. He was warned ahead of time to get out of town. And so he did. And so he wasn't harmed. Um, then after that, they spread out um, through the city of Wilmington, you know, um, banishing people, forcing people to leave their homes and businesses. Some people they killed, shot and killed as well. And I know recently they just had a memorial and found a, uh, a great, I think, third person project um, 
that's behind it, John Sullivan, who's behind that project, they have put together a memorial service of one of the uh, un uh, unmarked graves of, of a person that was killed during the massacre. Wow. Um, they did that last month here in Wilmington, did a ceremony for him. Um, and there's still many more bodies out there that they haven't even discovered yet. And so this this event, it actually led to Jim Crow segregation throughout North Carolina and especially in Wilmington. And Wilmington has never really recovered. You know, other places have kind of grown and elevated up where Wilmington just stayed stuck, um, really. And it didn't really grow. Yeah. And it didn't really even benefit Wilmington per se. Because like I said, before the massacre, Wilmington was really rising as a major city in the South. Right. Um, and it wasn't Charlotte or Raleigh where people wanted to go. People wanted to come here. Um, but that event stunted the growth of the city um, as a whole. And, you know, the city really still hasn't benefited fully. Um, it's full of potential, reached its full potential because of that. Right. And, you know, I wanted to, to do a documentary on it to show the ins and outs, show, you know, the progress that, that our people made as well, just coming out of slavery, um, show that coalition of fusion, um, the, of that fusion movement that was going on at the time, and also show how this white supremacy movement came in to disrupt that and change the whole landscape of Wilmington forever. Well, you know what I wanted to ask, you know, I asked if you had any reservations about doing the project. Mm -hmm. And the reason I asked that is because, because of that history, it, it brings up a lot of things that many people want to forget. They don't right. want to talk about that. Right. So that's why I was wondering, you know, did, were you skeptical, uh, not skeptical, but, mm -hmm. you know, just hesitant about doing it because maybe a, maybe a certain group may not like right. it or, or how did you <laughs> no, I wasn't, no, I wasn't, I wasn't scared at all. I know my grandfather, he, he would, you know, say, cause you know, he grew up during Jim Crow, yeah. you know, so he, he know the deal, he know how, you know, certain things will get down mm -hmm. and, you know, he always kind of had that fear for me, but you know, I just, I had no fear with it. I'm like, you know what? I, I want to tell this story and right. somebody's got to do it, you know, like, because, I would always look back to my, to my ancestors. You know, I saw, you know, I look back to what folks did in the civil rights movement. Yeah, they probably were nervous and scared, but they right. felt like, hey, somebody has to do this, right. <laughs> you know, because if we don't, what's going to happen? You know, we have to move our race forward. And right. so I felt like, you know, I needed to do this for our people. And so, yeah, I was nervous, you know, and sometimes like, oh, man, what I'm going to do, you yeah. know, if this happens or that happens. But at the end of the day, um, it's, it's, it all worked out. It all worked out. But you know what? And, and, and let me know if you feel the same way. Sometimes yeah. I feel with not just this, but with a lot of different things. Sometimes we just have to confront a certain issue, right. meaning right. acknowledge that it actually happened and right. continue to work our way past it and then begin yep. to create and tell a different story or more positive story after that. And, and that's agree. the direction I see Wilmington going, going in. It just, right. you know, more positive things coming out of it. Would you agree with that? Totally agree with, totally agree with that. And that's a reason why we did the follow-up to, you know, to Wilmington yeah. on Fire, which is Wilmington on Fire Chapter 2. And you hit it right on the money. And that's why I wanted to do a second part to this thing, okay. to show that, to show the progression, to show um, folks like myself, yourself, you know, like people that are coming to Wilmington mm -hmm. um, and wanting to make a difference. Right. Um, so, you know, with Wilmington on Fire Chapter 2, it's all present day. It's, it's a present day look at Wilmington. So, you know, we capture the protest movements that were going on last year. Uh, we, you know, also documented Tracy and Gerard at Genesis Block and how, you know, they're building this culture of entrepreneurship um, in the town, especially for black folks to get more involved in being business owners. Um, yeah, you know, all, yeah, yeah. So we've been able to, to document them for over a year. Also, my man Cedric Harrison, who recently launched his um, Wilmington um, in Color tour bus. And we were there for that whole time of him getting the bus, you know, before he had it all, you know, decked out. You know, we were there through the, through the trials and tribulations of getting this tour bus together. And so yeah. I'm so proud of him as well. And we, will be in it. we were able to document that whole process as well. So, you know, I wanted to show, you know, these different, you know, facets of change. Yeah. Um, that's going on in Wilmington because like I said Wilmington is like my second home and whenever I would show the first film which you know the first film is important but a lot of times when I would show the film outside of Wilmington people made it seem like 
all is all all hope is lost in Wilmington. I'm saying no, it's not at all. There's some great people here that are doing some great things. And I said I got to do a part two to this that's focusing on those folks today. And that's where Wilmington on Fire comes into play. We're finished shooting. Okay. Right now we're in post-production with it. Hopefully we can premiere um next fall in Wilmington. That's amazing. That's awesome. I, I can't wait till that comes out. Now yeah. I gotta go back. I got to um Go back and check it out again. Go back yeah. and check it out again so I can get ready for the next one. But yeah. I do want to quickly talk about, um, I know you do a lot of things here in the, the city, which is absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. But let's also talk about your, your, the project that you're, you're currently working on, um, yeah. the Grandmaster, the Vic Moore story. Tell us more about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Grandmaster, the Vic Moore story. I've been filming that for about three and a half years now. It's actually the project I started on right after Wilmington on Fire. Okay. And I, I've been excited about that because I grew up as a kid. You know, I'm a martial arts action nerd you know what i'm saying so okay. you know i grew up watching you know john claude van damme steven seagal um those type of cats um you know then later you know uh, you know billy blanks used to do his thing in a few um films as well you know michael J. white wesley snipes so you know i've always been a fan of martial arts and i actually studied it as a kid yeah. and michael and john i read white, this yeah book, michael uh, secret crush that's my oh thing. yeah <laughs> Cool. Yeah, we're actually we're actually thinking about reaching out to him to see if he wants to be a, a executive producer for this project. So I'll keep you posted on that. Oh, oh yeah, as call, well. call a sister. Yeah, I, I want to. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I've always been a fan of, of martial arts, and um, I've always felt like there was more to our history in it as well that hasn't really been tapped into. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's where I wanted to get more involved. And I saw this article a few years ago. Mm -hmm. It was called uh, it was called uh, the Forgotten Fury, and it was Forgotten Fury twelve black martial artists that you never heard of. Okay, and I think about half of the guys on that list were dead, had already passed. Wow! But one guy stuck out, and that was Vic Moore, and it was stuck out because he was here in North Carolina. Okay, and I was like, man, we got this guy, and it was, it was talking about his whole history. You know, being one of the first black professional karate champions mm -hmm. in the United States. You know, he's done like speed competitions. It's Bruce Lee's fought Chuck Norris. You know, he's done all these cool things. And he's right here in North Carolina. I said, man, I'm about to reach out to this guy. Right. And so, you know, I knew someone who was connected to him. And I didn't realize that he actually studied martial arts under him. And so he helped, you know, connect me to him. And also my old karate teacher studied under him as well. Okay. And so, you know, they both helped me connect with him. And I reached out and said, man, I just finished up uh, Wilmington on Fire. And I would love to do a documentary on you, your story and okay. uh, what you're, you know, trying to do and everything of preserving, you know, your martial arts history and legacy. And, and he was down. He said, let's do it. And so we, we did it. Um, and we're almost done. We got like three more things left to shoot. And so we should be done filming all his stuff um, mm -hmm. by the spring. And so both of that one and Wilmington on Fire will be coming out like around the fall of next year. But Grandmaster Moore's story is great. Mm -hmm. And it's also inspired me to just dig more into um, our history and culture in Black martial arts. And so me doing this project, other martial artists during the era have reached out and shows express interest of me possibly doing some stuff on because they like what I've been doing with Grandmaster Moore, really, you know, re-energizing him and getting him back out there, um, you know, even more. And so I want to do the same for other black martial artists from that era as well. And, you know, hopefully the goal, honestly, at the end of the day is to to start capturing all of these stories. A lot of these guys are getting old, older men and women from that era. They were great martial artists. A lot of them have passed on over the years and they're getting up there in age. Like Grandmaster was like 79. Yeah. And so, you know, I want to start, you know, if I can't do a documentary on everybody, mm -hmm. at least want to document their oral histories, you know, do some cool photography with them, yeah. you know, start collecting, collecting and scanning some of their documents and photos. And because my main goal is to eventually one day to create a black martial arts museum uh, where we could start to um, collect and gather all of these things to preserve it. You know, so when they're gone, you know, their history and their legacy and and their contributions will always live on. Because I wish I had that growing up because we didn't see none of that. You know, like I said, you had um, mostly white men, you know, doing all the action and stuff. You know, we had Bruce Lee. 
But outside of that, that was like really the only major minority that was doing anything in these type of um, things. And so I always felt like there was more to it. And these men and women really were like superheroes in our community, in certain communities. And I really thought that the world needed to see something like that. And I'm just glad that Grandmaster Moore has given me the opportunity to tell the story in his history. Uh, I think that's amazing. And um, I've actually, I think when I, when I emailed you, I was telling mm-hmm. you about that. I have an uncle. I kind of grew up in, the, in that. I have an yeah. uncle. I'm from Gary, Indiana, originally. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has several well he has a school in indiana but he has several mm-hmm. school all over the united states and so does his his students yeah. and so um to see you know to go to the different um karate uh tournaments and and things mm-hmm. like that but what they actually do in the community right. is 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 the most amazing thing you know oh, what yeah. i mean yeah and that's what and that's and that's another thing we're going to be showing in this film because not only we're you know we've been documenting grandmaster more for the past few years we've also been following and documenting two of his students uh, one young man um by the name of Stuart gumby he lives in kinston north carolina mm-hmm. he's um he's mentally he's a little mentally challenged okay. but the thing is we show how karate has helped change him over the years you know ever since he's connected with grandmaster more and mm-hmm. grandmaster more has been like a father figure to him uh it's changed his whole life for the better you know we've been documenting him at his job he's like one of the top workers at his job now he's been competing in tournaments we capture all this he's been competing in tournaments winning tournaments um and it's all because of 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 karate and you know now he wants to open up he wants his his goal is to open up a karate school to help um young people and individuals um that are like him you know to build their confidence up and it's done. And that's one of the things I wanted to show this thing of how martial arts can transform not only the body, but the mind as well. Absolutely. And, and another young man we've been documenting, Wayne Easterling, he's out of Columbia, South Carolina. He's been working with Grandmaster Moore the past few years. He's a world karate champion in his own right. Okay. And we went down to Miami for a big tournament he did a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And that was a cool experience where he was defending his title because he had won the year before the, the Pan American um, Championships is big. It's one of the biggest uh, karate championships in the country. And okay. he had won it the year prior and we went down. Can't spoil it and <laughs> tell you what happened. Okay. But, um, you know, so we were documenting him and he's pretty much kind of like the next Vic Moore. Um, Vic Moore really um, is really putting a lot into him as well mm-hmm. because he sees that, you know, he can take this thing to the next level. And so we've been documenting him as well and so that's that's why this this whole thing about martial arts in our community is very key because not only just with Vic Moore and just looking at what these other men and women did back in the 60s and 70s and you know, they really you know did a lot for our community you know, these people became like father figures to a lot of the young men in the community um you had a lot of women a few women that were great martial artists as well yeah. that were showing young women how they can defend themselves and be strong and powerful just like um the young boys were and so these people were like heroes to us and but people in my generation and, and, and younger, they don't know anything about it. And so I said, you know what, just like I did with the Women's Massacre of 1898, I wanna do the same thing with um, black martial artists as well. I think that is amazing. Now, it, are you, I, I noticed that, th- that the films that you're doing are more documentaries. Are you mm-hmm. planning on um, branching out to different types of films or is this your yeah. specialty? Oh, no, nah, no, nah. we, uh, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing, uh, I've done a couple of narratives. Okay. There's a lot of people don't, don't, didn't realize I was involved in them. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I did an actual, another documentary as well. I didn't make the film, but I executive produced it. I produced it. It's called, uh, if people want to check it out, it's on um, Tubi and IMD, no, it's on Amazon Prime and also Tubi. It's called Black Beach, White Beach, A Tale of Two Beaches. Oh. Great documentaries about the, the two bike weeks that go on in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You know, you, yeah. you have the Harley Harley Week and then you have the following, which is Memorial Weekend, Black Bike Week. And so it goes into that whole thing. And so I was lucky enough to uh, get involved with that project. Ricky Kelly is the director of it. You know, I was just a producer on it. So, you know, I try to do things like that as well. I can't make a film. Yeah. So, um, you know, stories like that that are 
that are stories that I would probably want to do, right. but I'm not doing. And I know another black filmmaker out there is, is putting in the work, mm-hmm. just like I, the, just like I am. And I'm always down to help produce and and get them over that hump because someone did that for me. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so I try to do that. And so his film is out. He got a distribution deal a few years ago. People can check that out. Also, I produced a narrative short film that screened a few times um, in Wilmington last year, mm-hmm. um, virtually because of COVID. Um, but it's called the, the Black Baptism. It's an Afro-futuristic 20-minute um, short film. It's very cool. And I can send it to you yeah, please. to check out. Um, yeah, yeah. So I produced that one. Um, Stephanie Diane Ford was the writer and director. She's a cool friend of mine. She came to me with the script. Okay. Say, hey, Chris, I want to, you know, this is my first film. I want to, I want to do this. She knew that I had a love for horror and, 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 and sci-fi. And so I've always wanted to kind of do something in that realm anyway. Okay. And so I said, yo, I want to help you produce this thing. Let's, let's do it. Um, you know, you had a good budget, you had a good plan. Let's put this thing together. And so we did it. We made it. And I was a producer on that. It's won several awards and yeah. it was on the festival circuit last year. I wish we could have did more in person, but COVID, you know, was going on. So we had to do pretty much everything virtual. Right. Um, so we had that. And then also I'm coming out with another short um called a saintly madness and we shot that actually right before COVID hit and i just never did anything with it so we're done with the edit and so we're going to start submitting that to festivals in a few months and i produced that as well and so it's like a a dramedy you know type of project it's very different and so you know now i'm actually partnered with a production company recently and we're working, we, we have a, a zombie film in development. This has nothing to do with, you know, <laughs> okay. learning about our history or anything. Right. It's all right, fun right. with this one. So this is a very different film because, I, you know what, you know, I love documentary. I love in my history and culture. But with this project, I just want to have some fun, you know. Okay. And so, I'm, you know, I'm a horror guy. I'm an action guy. And well, I'm so a pass on the horror stuff because I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a dead cat. You can't get me to watch nothing. Yeah. See, <laughs> action films, like martial arts films, action films are horror. That's my thing. And so we got a joint we got in development now called Cell Block Z. Okay. And uh, it's a zombie film. So that's in development right now um, through my company and partner with another company as well. And so, you know, we, we have those type of things that are out there. So we're doing some narrative stuff. I'm always doing docs. I'm always because yeah. I think that's really been my my calling mostly. Yeah. Um, you know, so we have several other projects as well. I'm actually going to start on a, a new documentary in a couple of months through um, Preservation North Carolina. We've partnered together to produce a two part documentary series mm-hmm. called We We Built This um, Profiles of Black Builders and Architects in North Carolina. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be real cool. So we're going to cover. Um, the contributions of black builders and architects uh, from like slavery all the way up until today in North Carolina. And so that. I'm very excited about this. So we're going to start shooting that in a couple months. Now you mentioned a couple of uh, different platforms. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned like uh, Prime Video and, yeah. and and Tubi and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Are those difficult? Now I'm speaking, I guess I, I <laughs> want you to speak to future filmmakers, you know, right, right. I mean, right. you don't have to get deep into it, but are those right. difficult uh, things to to get your projects on? I would say yes and no. Um, it's yes, it's a, it's yes and no because every year the market changes. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, you could get on Netflix and, and Hulu and all that. Right now, you, it's hard okay. um, unless you have some type of distributor, and even with the distributor, it's still difficult. Now you can get on Amazon and stuff like that. You used to could get on Amazon pretty freely, but now they've changed up things where they're kind of limiting independent makers to really upload their stuff because they're now doing what Netflix is doing, creating their own content, you know, and producing their own films. Yeah. And so it changes all the time. So now you have to have a distributor or you have to go through an aggregator. So you have like Indie Rights, Film Up, where you can get on there. And control your own distribution. You can get on some of these platforms like Tubi and Amazon Prime and others, you know what I'm saying? Right. Where you can take advantage of, you know, going directly to your audience. Um, so it's 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 a whole lot to it. Um, and it changes all the time and you have to be willing to adapt yeah. um, as well. And a lot of times filmmakers don't want to do that. They still think that it's 
1990 and it doesn't work like that anymore. You know, it's a whole new game and it changes and it evolves all the time because the streaming platforms and stuff like even with the studios, they're creating their own streaming platforms now. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you, you have to deal with that. You know, also you have streamers that are creating their own content now. So they're less hesitant of taking a chance on independent productions and picking those up. Um, right. So how we've done it is that we usually we do a hybrid model okay. where, you know, we'll we'll partner with certain distributors, but we still maintain control and rights. And, you know, we might say, you know what, we'll license the broadcast rights for a couple of years Mm-hmm. We'll give an aggregator to help us do some streaming stuff, and then we'll do theatrical. You know, we'll set up our own theatrical screenings and stuff like that. So we kind of use a hybrid approach. Okay. Uh, we do a little bit of traditional distribution, but we also do a little bit of DIY as well. And so okay. that's the best approach that I've done until a big distributor comes with a big check and wants to do business totally. But, you know, we'll see. You know, until until that happens, we're, we're good at what we want. Well, can you even imagine? And I mean, back in the day when when um, ended, you know, independent uh, film producers and stuff like that, what they had to go to with, you yeah. know, when we didn't have social media and we right, didn't. Right. <laughs> can you right. imagine what they had to and go to? And that's the thing. That's that's why I love it. That's why I love it, and that's why I embrace what's going on right now because the internet has changed the game. Yeah. I know for me, that's how I was able to connect with folks like David West, even mm-hmm. even. Um, more recently, last year, you know, I got a couple of celebrities involved with Wilmington on Fire too. Um, one, um, Hillary Burton Morgan, she was on the uh, the show back in the day, One Tree Hill, yeah. that was filmed in Wilmington. She heard about me on social media. She saw the film. She gave me a shout out on IG. I was like, man, you know, and I said, what's Hillary Burton tagging me for? <laughs> and so I hit up. I said, man, thanks. I appreciate that. And so she yeah. hit me back. And so she brought me on our IG live um, talk thing and yeah. chopped it up. And she said, Chris, I know you're doing part two. I want to get involved and help you out. So she came on board to be an executive producer of it. And oh, she's been a huge support. Yeah. Also, um, Peyton Reed, he's been a, a huge support system as well. People are familiar with the, um, the Marvel movies, the Ant-Man movies for Marvel. Peyton Reed is the director um, behind that. And um, he's been a huge support as well. Didn't realize he was from North Carolina. Yeah. And um, he reached out last year and, and he enjoyed Wilmington on Fire and loved it. Tells everybody about it. So this couldn't have happened 20, 30 years ago. Absolutely I would have to not. I would have to move to New York or L.A. to even run into these people. But the Internet has allowed, you know, the Internet allows you to to get your work out there and people will retweet people and send people yeah. stuff. You never know who's looking at your stuff. That's why I tell people all the time. Do the best work possible. Get it out there because you never know who's watching. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, you know, if I can add to that, you know, I get a lot of people saying, you know, I don't know how to do this and I don't know how to do that. So there is no excuse these days. Nah, YouTube. (laughs) I still use YouTube to this day of when I need help with something, designing or editing or because um. Even because I'm always a student, I'm always learning. I tell people all the time. I was like, you know, I learned some things just by trial and error. Mm-hmm. Also, there's some great free information out there. People have podcasts on film marketing, audience building, filmmaking. I constantly listen um, to these folks, and I've been I've had the pleasure to even be on some of these shows to share my own experience um, as well. And yeah. so I'm I'm always looking to learn. Um, and the, the information is out here. A lot of stuff is free. Um, you just have to just pull it up on YouTube and you'd be amazed of what you can really learn out here nowadays. Absolutely. So I have a couple of personal questions. Yeah. They're not too personal. Right. <laughs> not too personal. But okay. So the first one is you have the film company and you're doing great thing, but it, what's your dream? What, how far do you want this to go? Does it stop at filmmaking or what do, what do you want to do with it? Oh, no, you know, I want to, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't want it to stop at filmmaking. What I want to be able to do is, I like what Tyler Perry has done, have, have his own studio. I know that's a dream of mine to really, because, you know, I want to reinvest in Laurenburg. Um, Laurenburg is a rural town. Mm-hmm. I remember the changes years ago, mm-hmm. back when we had all these plants and factories, and it was a cool little town to stay at. But when those factories left, they never came back. Uh-huh. And it's really left, you know, the town in just disarray. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? 
I want to help invest. You know, I got to get my money up first <laughs> to do yeah, what I want right. to do. But I would love to to build like a studio in Laurenburg and really focus on some economic um, development in that area. That's that's really one of my main goals is to bring stuff like that. Cause we need more film studios in North Carolina. You know, Wilmington, can't, we just got one in Wilmington and that's right. it. Um, so I think to, to help some of these rural areas, we have to bring those type of things um, to the table in their towns. And that's what I want to do in Laurenburg to really bring um, economic development to that area. Um, because I wish um, these things were there when I grew up, because yeah. if they were, I would have gotten into this a long time ago. You know, right. It wasn't until I left and moved, moved away and went to Charlotte and moved to Atlanta that I saw people really doing these type of things. Yeah. And so, you know, I still have, you know, relatives that still live in Longburg and I want them to have the same opportunities that I have right now. Now, if you could work with a, if you had your pick mm-hmm. and you could work with a specific actor, who would, who would it be? Uh, it's, it's a couple. It's a couple. Okay. Um, I would say. Okay. One girl, one say, guy. One girl, one guy. Oh, that's hard. Um, <laughs> I would say guy because I'm an action guy. Okay. It's probably split with two guys. I would say definitely, I'll say definitely uh, Denzel for yeah. sure. But I think the other guy would be uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. I would love oh, to do an action nice. film with him. Okay. Because he was like, he was like, like him and Steven Seagal, I would like to do a film with them together at least, you know, because that those were my guys growing up, you know, action guys. So I know definitely John Claude Van Damme. I would love to do an action film with them. That's one of my dreams as well. Oh, but also Denzel do something with him too. Yeah. Uh, and then I would say female. Um definitely like Viola Davis. Yeah. Love to do something with her and like Angela Bassett. Those two. Oh, you like the, act, the, the, the real actors, the actor actors. Right, right. right. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So listen, tell us how people can find you um, on your yeah. website, on your social media and beyond. How can they find you? Oh, people can definitely stay, stay up to date, especially with Wilmington on Fire. Go to WilmingtonOnFire.com, WilmingtonOnFire.com. It has the links up there. If you want to stream the film, watch it, share it with folks, go to WilmingtonOnFire.com. If you want to reach out to me, go to SpellerStreet.com. SpellerStreet.com has all my info, social media, and everything on there. Um, I'm always on social media, so go to SpellerStreet.com. It has all my social media. also has my email as well on there as well. Now, what if somebody, because I know somebody's going to ask, because it's yeah. just how it is. If they if they wanted to get a script to you, how how can they do that? Do you accept it that way? I'm always down. I'm always down um, to, to chop it up with whoever. Um, go to SpellerStreet.com. All my contact information is all on there. Reach out to me. I'm always willing, um, especially with Zoom now. Technology is easy. You know, I can just hop on a Zoom. We can schedule something. And chop it up, you know, see where you're at, see if I can actually help. But I can't, you know, I can't produce everything either. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah, right. So, you know, sometimes, you know, you might come at, you know, come to me at the right time. Like that happened, even with Black Beach, White Beach. He came to me at the right time uh, with the Black Baptism. I had, you know, a free period during that time. Mm-hmm. So you never know. Uh, sometimes it's all about timing as well. But if I can't help you out, I can definitely direct you. Um, in the right direction for some other folks. So there's some there's some some great folks out here that are doing some amazing things that I that I collaborate with, and we share information with all the time. So there's a lot of folks out here. You just have to reach out and ask. Yeah, that's what my mother used to tell me. She said, "All you got to do yeah. is ask," and it, yeah. that's that's my biggest thing now. I ask everything yeah. now. <laughs> that's how that, that's how I was able to get my first executive producer for Wilmington on Fire. My my first EP was a uh, Pete Chapman. Um, he's in the, he's been in the news recently, him and his wife, um, just had a baby. Um, his wife is, uh, she's an actress on, uh, Grey's Anatomy, uh, okay. Kelly McCreary. And, um, so Pete does, he directs a lot of TV shows, but I was a fan of his, you know, he did an excellent indie film called Premium back in the day, it starred Hill Harper and Zoe Saldana. And then he did an excellent documentary about the 761st Black Tank Battalion in World War II. And so when I was putting together Wilmington on Fire, I said, man, I need an executive producer to kind of, kind of, you know, give my projects some credibility and also someone that I can, um, you know, learn from as well. 
And I was a fan of his. I was a huge fan. He was teaching film at NYU at the time. And I emailed him. I reached out. I said, man, you know, I love your work. I got all your films. And I would love if you could be an EP on my project. I'm like, you know, you don't have to do much. You know, I might send you some footage here and there just to check out and help me review it a little bit. But that's all you really have to do. A week later, he hit me up. And we just emailed. And he wanted to be down with the project. He liked what I was doing. And the rest is history. And, um, and he's going on to do, you know, some some huge things right now um, yeah. in the world of television. And he's out in L.A. doing his thing. And, you know, we chop it up from time to time still. He always, you know, if I need anything, you know, I reach out to him, advice yeah. about film. And so he's been, you know, like a big brother to me and, and a huge asset to what I'm trying to do as well. Now, do they need to come to you with no. with with a budget and the whole nine? Or I mean, I'm just I just want to be. <laughs> Look, yeah, you know you can't. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can't come to me now. You can't. <laughs> you can't come to me now saying you know my budget a million dollars. I can't do nothing for you. You know, but you know I can kind of tell you like, hey, you know you can do this in a yeah. way you don't have to spend a million dollars. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, you know you want to you you know what I look for is people that are hungry. You know, like a lot of there people say go. they want to do this but they really don't want to do it. Right. Um, and, you know, so I can tell, you know, just by talking to you, if you're really trying to do this or not. And if oh, you're serious, uh-huh. um, you know, I'm down to help. And then also, we also have a, um, I forgot to mention this. I started this initiative a few years ago called Black Docs. And mm-hmm. me and my boy, we just got off a meeting right before this call. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're about to do some programming coming up in 2022. But we started this uh, initiative called Black Docs because, you know, I make films, he curates films. And I was like, man, we need to do our part to really highlight other Black documentary makers as well. Nice. And, um, and so we decided to come up with this concept called Black Docs, where we focus on Black documentary filmmakers and Black not. Doc- black documentary film in general. And so we kicked it off during the pandemic and did it, you know, doing everything virtual. And the first screening we did, we showed Wilmington on fire and we were able to get up Erica Alexander from living single to moderate. And that was really cool because I was nervous. That probably was the most time I was nervous since the first screening I ever had, because I grew up watching her, you know, living single, you know, so I'm like playing it cool (laughs) and everything, but it was a cool, it was cool conversation. And, you know, she's been a big help as well. And so we kicked it off with that. There's mm-hmm. several virtual screenings. And so if filmmakers out there who, especially documentary makers who have completed works, whether it's shorts, experimental mm-hmm. documentaries or documentaries, definitely hit me up about that too, because we're always looking uh, to showcase um, documentaries, especially about our history and culture. Now, that's awesome. And, and um, if you have any information about that, yeah, yeah. Um, Make sure that you send it to me because I have a couple of people we'll do. who would you know, be interested in that. We'll do. And you can go to our website. It's Because uh, how we do Black Docs is BLK um, Docs. So it's BLKDOCS.com. Awesome. And you can, get, you can contact us on there. You can see all of our past events and everything. Okay. Well, that, hey, sounds wonderful to me. So, listen, I I don't want to take too much more of your time. I know you're a busy guy, but I I can't even tell you how uh, amazing this interview was. I loved all the information that you you've given us. Now, if you could offer our audience or a future filmmaker some advice or some mm-hmm. words of encouragement, um, is there anything that you would like to say to anybody? Oh, definitely, um, definitely. Um don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to step out there and, and make the film. The best experience yeah. that you're going to get is just to make the film. Even the greats, um, you know, do that. Spike Lee talks about all the time that his first couple of films, he didn't like them. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I kind of feel the same way about mine, you know, but you have to make the films and get better. Uh, that's how you get better. You mm-hmm. learn from mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Even the great ones make mistakes. But the way you learn from them is to actually make them. So you got to make your film, learn, learn as much as you can, learn how to edit, learn how to shoot on a camera as well. That's going to help you a lot. That's going to help you with your budget. Yeah. You're going to save a lot of money and time. I wish someone would have educated me on that when yeah. I first started. So I think those are really the two things. Don't be afraid to make the film. A lot of times people get too hung up of, oh, I need to have this in place. I need to have that in place. Yeah, you need to plan. But in the day, you need to just you need to film. You need to, and film. that's how yeah, and that's how you're going to get better. So, even if you're just even if you're not making a specific project, 
take your camera out, take your cell phone out, film stuff, edit it up. You know what I'm saying? Even with your cell phone. And that's how you get better. Because that's what my uh, DP would do. And he's like, a, like I said, he's like a, a top DP in Hollywood right now. Uh-huh. I remember when he was going with me, we were traveling, filming Wilmington on Fire. He would take his camera. I think he said he takes like 500 photos a day on his uh-huh. camera. He would, and I would see him do it while we were traveling yeah. to stuff. And he said, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he said it helps him. It helps him with, his, wow. with, his, with everything with cinematography. And he, he's, he still does it to this day. And so just those little things, um, just always, always try to learn, always try to learn um, the craft and, and just go out there and shoot. It doesn't matter whether you have a cell phone, um, a big time camera, a middle of the road camera, yeah. go out there and shoot, go out there and edit. Um, the, the, the world of film is open now because of the Internet. You know, you just have to just put your stuff out there. You know what? And then with that, sometimes your biggest, what you think is a mistake might be the best mistake you've ever made. So, you know. yeah, because even because even with my first film, Wilmington on Fire, you know, there's a lot of mistakes in it. People don't even notice. But yeah. I notice them. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't watch it. <laughs> but people don't even notice it. because A lot of times, you know, us as filmmakers, we get hung up on a lot of stuff. And yeah. a lot of times people don't even notice. it. Wow. Perfectionist. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So again, thank you so much, Christopher, for joining us on the show. And listen, everybody that's listening today, thank you for joining in and make sure you follow uh, Christopher Everett on, on and um, Speller Street Films. I'm going to make sure that I put all his links at the bottom, everything from all the different films and anything that he got, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to put it at the bottom so they can go ahead and follow you. And please, 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 Christopher, come back for your next project because I, I really want our audience to to uh, make sure that they don't miss what's coming up, okay? Oh, yeah, definitely. I definitely want to, when we get Grandmaster's project wrapped up, I would love uh, for him to join me possibly because he has a lot of knowledge and, you know, he, wow. he, he was a part of that era and I would love for you to connect with them as well. That would be wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. All right, guys, so... Home is where the heart is, and my heart is in Wilmington. I'll talk to you guys later. Christopher, I'll talk to you a little bit later, okay? Sounds good. All right, bye-bye.